Welcome to the Jongets Games podcast, where in today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from a recent Good Games vlog. In that video, I discussed my initial impressions for Iberian Gage as well as Trans-Siberian Railroad. Now, both of these have the same designer, and they are both Cube Rails-style games. And because of that, I decided to put a third section in where I do some general musings about my newbie experiences with Cube Rails-style games. As always, you can look to the description of this podcast to find timestamps for each of these sections if you'd like to listen to a specific one. At this point, I do want to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support coming in through the Patreon campaign for the channel. Now, you can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash jongetsgames, and if you enjoy listening to my vlogs in podcast form like this, then I do hope you would consider directly supporting the channel. The final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. All right, let's start things off with Iberian Gage, which was designed by Tom Russell and first published in 2017 from Winsome Games. It's now being republished in 2021 through Capstone Games in a much nicer version. Uh, it's got great art on the map and a really nice looking box, as well as um, some better components. Now, in general, it's my understanding that Cube Rails games use colored cubes that you put down onto a map to signify being rails, being trains. Uh, but in the new version of Iberian Gage, there are these little trains that you actually put out. But either way, let's talk about how Iberian Gage works. Now, in the middle of the table, there is a map of the Iberian Peninsula that's split up into a hex grid, and there are five uh, different train companies that come in each game. Now, you randomly shuffle up their order, and then you put them in a row along the side of the board, and then you can start playing by jumping into one of the game rounds. Now, the game takes place over 10 rounds, Four of those rounds will be called stock buying rounds, and the other six rounds are construction rounds, where you can actually place trains out onto the map. When you're in a stock buying round, the only thing anybody can do is buy stocks, and when you're in the construction round, the only thing anybody can do is lay tracks down onto the board. Now, in the stock buying round, you just go clockwise around the table, and each person can purchase one stock on their turn, but you could potentially purchase more than one within the round. When you do this, you spend the price for the specific stock of that company by taking that money from your personal area and you invest it into the treasury of that uh, that railroad. So if you want to buy a purple stock and maybe it costs uh, 16 money, you could take 16 of your money and put that 16 money into the purple trains treasury. Then you take one of your colored cubes and you put it down onto that company's area. And there is a column of different spots where you can put these cubes. Now, these companies are all stacked on top of each other, so that means there is effectively one very long column where all of the cubes will be placed, each of which signifying one stock in the different companies. Now, after everybody has uh, decided they are done buying stocks, you move into a construction round, and you don't go clockwise around the table anymore. Instead, you look to the very top of that column of stocks that I talked about, and you go one at a time through every one of those cubes, and the player who owns that cube which therefore means they own one stock, can then lay one train out onto the board um, for that specific type of company. Now, you will do all of one company before you get to the next as you work your way down this list. And it's definitely a collaborative experience because I might have one stock in that company and uh, maybe somebody else has two stock in that company. Uh, maybe they lay a train down first and then I get to put one down and then they get to put one down. So we might want to discuss how we collectively want to do this because if 
um, over the course of this building round, we don't add in any more of the urban or city spots on the board, then the stock price for that company actually goes down uh, by a number equal to the amount of stocks that are uh, purchased. So that's really bad. Uh, you, at the end of the game, get money equal to the stock value of these companies. So obviously you want to buy low and then have the stock value grow by the end of the game to get more money because having the most money means you win the game. Uh, now, I did mention that maybe in this example, I have one stock and my opponent has two, which means they are more motivated to make that uh, company do well than we are, twice as motivated actually, because they have two of that stock. So it's probably a good thing for me to help things out so we can collectively do better. But of course, by my helping out that train, I'm helping out a company that is going to aid my opponent even better. So a big factor in this game is figuring out who you want to help at what time and at what moment do you want to cut your losses and maybe try to tank one of these train companies. Um, now, when you lay these trains out onto the board, they have to go next to a previous train of that color or you can lease through other trains. Now, you have to always trace uh, a line back to one of your trains, but you can spend additional money from that um, building train's treasury into the treasuries of the companies that you jump over. So that means with a purple train, if I lease through one red train, then I'm going to spend a little bit of money from the purple treasury into the red treasury. Now, that's interesting because it means that that train costs more money, and um, the main way that these companies get money is through stock stocks being purchased, as well as dividends happening, which I'll talk about very soon. But that does mean that you can strategically try to <laughs> bankrupt one company if you don't want it to do very well. Or if one of your companies is getting a little bit low on cash, you can strategically build with one of your other stocks through a bunch of the trains of the uh, the company that needs money in order to lease those out and send money from one company into the other one that you personally care more about. It's possible that your opponents might not be as happy about that, but you don't really mind that. You just want your stocks to pay out the best at the end of the game compared to everybody else so that you have the most money. Uh, now, I know I'm going into a lot of specifics here, but there's one more thing I really need to talk about, and that is dividends. Once you um, build everything for one specific company, you then check the dividend track, which is a big track on the side of the board. And depending on where that token is, um, each player will get a certain amount of money for each of those stocks that they have, and the actual train company will get paid out for any unpurchased shares. Now, the dividend marker will go up every time you construct onto an urban or city spot on the board. So not only do you want to get to those so that the stock doesn't plummet, but you also want to get there because it increases the dividends and increased dividends means you have more money and you can spend that money to buy more stocks so that you can try to obviously have the most money at the end of the game. Uh, now there's definitely some uh, rules that I haven't covered just yet, but that's the general um, theme of the game. Uh, you go through these 10 rounds, you're going to do uh, buying stock, then you build, then you buy stock, then you build twice, and then you do that uh, essential pattern until the very end of the game. Uh, now this game has some really fascinating things going on from a uh, interplayer perspective. Um, as I said, you could find yourself in a situation where you have stock in a company that your opponent is doing way better at. Maybe you have one stock and one opponent has three stock in that specific company. Well, do you really want to make that company do better because your effort to help that company out is going to help your opponent out way more? Maybe you only do that if you think that opponent is not doing very well because of the rest of the stocks that they've purchased. So you might decide, yeah, let's, you know, play ball and do that. Um, there is a rule that I didn't really go into the details of where each company can get paid out a lump sum of money if they have five of the big cities connected in their network. So that is a big factor as players are trying to work together. Obviously, the player who has three stock in that company is going to try 
and convince the one stock players that it's in their best interest to make that company hit those five cities to get that big payout because you get more money for each of your stocks. So there's definitely some politics going on as people are discussing things, and you're constantly just analyzing the stock situation of all of the other companies. Now, I've played this game twice on Tabletop Simulator. Uh, the first game was five players, and the second game was four players, and I really enjoyed both of these plays. And um, I saw some pretty interesting things happen. Uh, in the five-player game, um, obviously, that's a lot of people. That's the maximum player count. And these stocks were purchased relatively quickly for relatively low prices. So by the time we got near the end of the game, there was essentially no stocks left to be purchased, and it was all about the uh, building uh, uh, plan. And obviously, if all of the stocks are purchased, then dividends don't put any money back into the train companies, and if all the stocks are purchased, you can't buy more stock to put money into that train company. So um, in that moment, you know the train company is only going to get more money through leasing. So you can be very strategic about how you lease over different companies to drain specific coffers and help other companies out. In that five-player game, we actually had a situation where I was doing quite well. I think I had more stock than anybody else by one, and we were right there. We were just about to connect up five cities in one of the companies that I was doing very well in. But the very first player uh, to buy a stock way back at the beginning of the game, never ended up getting any more stock in that company. I think at that point I had two or three, somebody else had uh, two or three, I can't remember how it exactly mapped out, but the very first player had one and they were able to use that one train to place it way at the other end of the map in order to spend all of the money from that red, uh, I think it was the red company, uh, the red company's treasury. Um, it was like a, you know, 30 money play or something like that, leasing all of this money out to other uh, trains. And that's kind of a hard thing to do because you can't actually lease through towns, but they were able to make that happen. So that means everybody else who had a cube could not actually lay a train down because it costs money to lay these trains out, and we were not actually able to connect everything up. Now, another big factor is the fact that each of these companies only has 22 trains, and if you run out of trains too early, then that might mean that you don't have enough trains to connect up to a new city, and if that happens late in the game, then the stock price is going to plummet because it goes down once for every stock that's purchased. So that is a very scary thing that could happen, and of course, I've also seen situations where a company is just one train away from being able to get to five cities, but other players strategically placed the other trains in bad spots to run that dry so that that couldn't actually end up happening. So there's a lot of interaction going on here, a lot of ways to be surprisingly mean. At least I saw that in the five-player game. But then interestingly, in the four-player game, um, which obviously had one less player, things were a lot less mean. And I think that has um, is largely to, due to the fact that we had one less player, and I think we priced the stocks higher in that game. Now, what that means is there were less stocks purchased, and less stocks purchased mean there's less cubes out there and less trains are added onto the board. So in that four-player game, there was significantly less trains built out. And there were less avenues for very mean, highly punitive, uh, crazy leasing plays. And I think the biggest one of those that we saw in the second game was spending like 10 or 12 money, and um, no one was ever able to like fully cash out any of the companies. But I will say that in that second game, uh, I won. And um, it's more accurate to say that my friend Nick lost. Um, he, um, in that very last building round, had a single stock in the red company that I was doing very well in. I think I had three stock in it. And he decided that I was not a threat. And he decided to play things out so that it would connect up to five cities so that we would all get a big payout. Of course, I got the biggest payout of everybody, but 
he thought that another player was a bigger threat than I was. But when the dust settled, I actually beat him by like 14 money or something like that. So that was kind of a mistake. In retrospect, he realized he should have um, not cooperated and placed that train on a different spot because if he did that, we would not have been able to connect the five cities and I would have had a lot less money at the end. I think we figured out I would have come in third place if he hadn't done that. So this is a pretty consequential game. Like, obviously, very tiny decisions can have massive ramifications, but it's also somewhat quick. Um, the five-player game took about 90 minutes, and the uh, four-player game that I played took probably approaching 90 minutes. The box says 60 minutes, but I think that is more of a once-everybody-is-very-familiar-with-the-game sort of situation. And the fact that um, games with all new players, the five-player game was all new, and the four-player game was three new players, um, going at 90 minutes is fine. That's definitely not overstaying the welcome of the game. So I was fascinated by this game. I, I loved the push and pull as we were trying to figure out how we could actually get our specific goals done uh, while everybody else is trying to do that at the same time. Um, there was a bit of negotiation in politics as we're trying to, you know, convince everybody else that we are obviously not a threat so they can go ahead and build that train in a way that helps you out a little bit more, uh, but uh, not too much of that overall. And I thought it was just a fascinating group think type of experience. Uh, it was really interesting to see how the two games played significantly differently. Uh, again, there was the player count difference, but I was thinking about this more and I was kind of worried that maybe a three-player game wouldn't be that fun because, um, you know, if there was a lot less trains laid out in the four-player game to the five, then obviously the three-player game would have even less trains out. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized the reason we had less trains in that four-player game was, I think, more due to the fact that we priced the stocks high. Um, the player count definitely affected it, but I think if you played a three-player game and started the prices out rather low, you could have a situation where you are in, uh, you have just as many trains out as you would in a five-player game, uh, especially potentially if there are some high stock prices. Now, I'm going to talk about my musings on stock prices in these Cube Rails games uh, more in the last section instead of talking about it here, but I want to wrap this up by saying I've really enjoyed both of these plays, and I don't have a copy of this game, but I am hoping to get a copy of this game. This is one that I could absolutely see playing more in the future. Um, I'll talk about Irish Gage a little bit again in the third section. Um, that's a game I played once and never came back to. Uh, Iberian Gage is a game I've played twice over the course of eight days, and I'm looking forward to more plays. It's just a fascinating, really fun experience overall, and I have to admit, I like the fact that there aren't any auctions in this game. Uh, now, I think that's going to wrap up Iberian Gage for the moment, and now let's talk about Trans-Siberian Railroad. This game was also designed by Tom Russell, and it was originally published by Winsome Games back in 2015. Now, this one is now being republished by Rio Grande Games, and I think it's available, it's about to be available, something like that. Uh, now, I do want to start this off by saying that I am biased. <laughs> I was paid to make a sponsored tutorial video for this game, uh, and I have a great relationship with Rio Grande Games. I've made uh, sponsored videos for many of their games. So, take my opinion with a grain of salt, but... I still want to talk about this game because I've played it four times over the course of eight days, which is saying something. Um, I mentioned I played Iberian Gage twice over eight days, um, so the fact that I played Trans-Siberian Railroad twice as many times as that in the same section um, definitely tells you that these games have been on my mind. Um, now, let's start things off by talking about the game before I talk about my impressions. Um, spoiler alert, I, I really like this game. <laughs> but the way this game works is you have a map of Russia, and the game is called Trans-Siberian Railroad, which means you're going to be going across Siberia in this game. Now, there is the same designer for both of this and Iberian Gage, but the map is very different. In Iberian Gage, you have a wide open hex map, and you can build the trains in 
really any direction that you want. Whereas in Trans-Siberian Express, the map is fixed. You have a whole bunch of cities and you have lines between the cities. And as you play through the game, you are going to be laying cubes out onto the spaces between those cities. So every single time you play Trans-Siberian Railroad, the map will be the same. But of course, the pattern and the way that players put cubes down onto that map could uh, vary drastically. And I've, I've seen quite a bit of variety in my four plays. Now, mechanically, uh, the way this game works is you start things off with an auction, but this is not an auction-style game. You auction off one stock for four out of the six companies in the game, and then you go into the flow of the game. And this game has a fascinating time mechanic. Uh, now, every time five time is used up, dividends are going to pay out for all of the companies, which means the players are going to gain uh, money for the stocks that they have. But that doesn't mean it's going to happen every five turns. It's just every five time. On a player's turn, they're going to take one action from a few different options. And some of these are slower. They're uh, more efficient, but they don't use time. And some of them are less efficient, and they make that timer move forward. Now, the actions, um, realistically, there's two uh, actions that you're taking. One is buying stocks, and the other one is laying cubes out onto the board as track. Uh, when you buy stocks, if you purchase just one, then the time doesn't move. But if you buy two different stocks, then the time does move forward, which can have some big ramifications on the game. Just like in Iberian Gage, when you purchase stocks in Trans-Siberian Railroad, you take the money from your personal supply and you put it into the treasury of that specific company. But unlike in Iberian Gage, in Trans-Siberian Railroad, the companies do not get money from dividend payouts. So the only way that these companies get money in Trans-Siberian is through stock purchasing and through jumping, which is the same exact thing as leasing that I talked about in Iberian Gage. Now, the other thing that you're doing on your turn, for the most part, you can also just pass, which does move time. But the other main thing that you're doing is laying out cubes onto the board. Um, now, when you do this, unlike in Iberian Gage, you have to be the majority stockholder in Trans-Siberian. That means if I have one red stock and my opponent has two, then I obviously want the red company to do well, but I can't lay any cubes down because they don't have the most of that stock or tied for the most. If I have two and they have two, then both of us can lay cubes out for that railroad. Now, this costs money to lay out. And just like in Iberian Gage, you have to go adjacent to a city that's already connected to a cube of that train's color, or you can link through a series of other colored cubes getting back to one of the main color. But you are jumping over them, which is, again, effectively leasing, which means you have to spend money from the jumping trains treasury into the least trains treasuries. So that means once again in this game, if one of the companies is running out of money, um, you can put some money in there by jumping other trains over. But again, unlike in Iberian Gage, you can only lay cubes out if you're the majority stockholder. So you have less opportunities to do this in Trans-Siberian. Now, whenever you place a cube down onto a link spot on the board, it will have a number, and that is the amount of income that that company is going to increase on a income track on the side of the board. Every so often, that income has a black spot, which is going to increase the stock price of that company. And also, when you lay out two track on the board, that is going to increase the stock price of the company. If you want, you can just lay out one cube for your action instead of two. As I said before, that's more money efficient, and it does not move the timer forward. But if you put two cubes down, you've covered up two income spots, which means you have increased the income even more. And there is a real push and pull there because that does move time forward. 
And obviously that's good for the company, but maybe it's not great for the company overall because you are pushing things closer and closer to a dividend. Now, when the dividend pays out, you take the income of the company, divide it by the number of shares, and then give that money out to uh, people equal to the shares that they have. And then <laughs> this is where the real kicker of the game comes in. You have to check for the phase shift. Now, this game has two different phases, one and two. And as soon as any one company at this point has a stock price of 48 or more, the uh, phase is going to shift and you move it into a part of the game where there is a new threat looming on the horizon of the Russian government. Now, thematically, you are all tasked by the Russian government to build this Trans-Siberian Railroad. But once you get into the second phase, the government might decide that you are not doing a very good job of this. Now, from that point on in future dividends, every single company that is has a stock price of lower than this big black nationalization cube is going to be absorbed by the Russian government. When that happens, they pay out one more dividend, which is kind of nice, but then all of the stocks are stolen from those players and all of the cubes are removed as well as the bank and the income track and everything. The cubes on the board do stay there, but that means that the money that you invested in buying those stocks is gone. Sure, you probably got some dividends, but in general, you do not want the Russian government to take these stocks away from you. And every time this happens, that uh, nationalization cube is going to move three spaces forward. So that means the more companies that are nationalized, the hungrier the Russian government gets for gobbling up other companies. Uh, fortunately, it can't chain in a specific turn, but what this means is, just like in Iberian Gage, you get some collaboration discussions that happen in this game. You might have stock in that company, and so does your opponent, and the company is lagging behind that nationalization cube, and you might be in the second phase, so now you have to discuss, like, I think we should probably try to work together, you know, let's work together, build some cubes out to get that uh, stock price up. But if people go too fast and use time too often, then we'll get to another dividend phase too quickly for that stock to catch up, which means the government could gobble up that company, which would move the token forward even more. Now, I've played this game four times, and I feel like I've played it five times, actually, because uh, Heavy Cardboard did a full five-player uh, playthrough of this one on their stream, and I watched the entire game. So I was kind of there. I was spectating a fifth game. Uh, now, I've seen a wide variety of situations uh, come out at the end of this game. Uh, the very first game that we played, we did get one rule slightly wrong, but it didn't change the fact that we, because we priced the stocks a little bit too high, got to a point where every single company was absorbed by the Russian government at the end. That means when the dust settled at the end of the game, no one had any stocks and the person who had the most money from dividends won the game. And that happened to me. me. Uh, now that was fascinating. And we we're like, how the heck do we outrun this uh, Russian government? Um, every time it absorbs a company, it moves forward three more times at the end of that dividend round. And um, that was just a really hard thing for us to get away from. And we uh, kind of mathed it out and figured out we couldn't save any of the companies. And uh, subsequently, that's what happened. Um, after that, the next day, I think, I played a three-player game of this, actually with um, somebody at Rio Grande Games. And in that play, only one company was absorbed by the Russian government. Um, five out of the six companies were fine. Uh, two new companies come into play when the phase shift happens. There's an auction, but I'm trying not to go into all of the details. Um, so in that play, we had a bunch of stocks at the end of that game. The Russian government was not much of a factor at all, and I won that game by a large margin. Um, my stocks were very good. Um, the one uh, company that was gobbled up by the Russian government hit both of my opponents, but not me, which I certainly was okay with. Now, the game after that that I played was actually the tutorial playthrough that I put out on the channel. Um, so that one is, you know, a little bit fake because I was controlling all of the players. But in that game, I think there were just a couple of government gobbles that happened. And in the fourth game that I played, that was a four-player game, um, we had 
four out of these six uh, companies be gobbled up. And I think uh, looking back at all of these things, the main driver of how many companies the Russian government is going to take has to do with that initial auction. I mentioned this is not an auction game. Once you get into the main part of the game, you're not really auctioning again, except for in the phase shift. And if you price things too high, you will find a situation where you're going to spend the money in the treasury of those companies in order to lay out these tracks to increase the income and increase the stock price even more. But it's possible to get to the point where that stock price is too expensive for more people to buy into it, which means that company actually runs out of cash because it's too expensive. And if it stalls out too early, it could actually be eclipsed by the nationalization token. Uh, the counterpoint to that is in the uh, three-player game that I played uh, where only one company was absorbed. We started out with very low stock prices. Now, that means there was more um, area that we had to get to essentially to uh, not be nationalized, but the stock prices were low enough that we could continue to feed into them and buy more stocks to put more money into the coffers to keep things going. Another big factor is in that very first game where all of the companies were swallowed up, we were just constantly going for the big plays, you know, buy two stocks if you can, lay two cubes, lay two cubes, lay two cubes. And every time those happen, you move the time forward. So it was a very punitive game as um, it was really hard for these companies to catch up. Whereas in the last game that I played, the four-player game, where four out of the six companies were uh, gobbled up, in that game, in, near the very end of the game, we actually had a situation where three out of the four of us did not want a dividend to happen until some very specific things happened. We had some companies lagging behind. So three out of the four of us were doing just single builds, wasn't moving time forward at all. But then the fourth player was pretty vested in the rest of us having our uh, stocks be gobbled up. So they would obviously on every one of their turns do something that caused time to move forward. Now the time track has five spots on it. So if everybody moves time, then that means five player turns could happen before a dividend. But in this case, we had essentially like 15, 12 or 15 player turns between until the moment came where one of the other players decided their company was doing well enough and they pressed the button and started pushing time forward, which ultimately uh, doomed uh, a lot of my stocks. Um, I, I was really worried in that moment, actually, in that game. It seemed like most of my stocks were going to get liquidated. I was having a really hard time, I guess not liquidated, uh, stolen. <laughs> and I was having a really hard time figuring out how to fix that for myself. But I actually did find a way. Um, I lost a bunch of stocks, but I was able to invest in other stocks that worked out well for me. And when the dust settled on that game, I came in second. And there was a moment there where I was concerned I was going to come in fifth. So I, I really liked that I was able to fight back a little bit. Obviously, I did not win that game. Uh, but I, I really enjoy seeing how each of these games has differed based off of the groupthink ideas of the people sitting around the table to play. The fact that this game has this looming monster presence of the Russian government potentially taking all of your hard-earned stocks away adds a really interesting layer to the game where you might need to collaborate to dig a company out of a hole, or you might be in a situation where you say, you know what, I'm okay if I lose some of those stocks because it hurts other players more, um, in a very similar style to, I guess, Iberian Gage, where sometimes the right thing to do is to hurt yourself because it hurts the person that you think is doing better than you more than it actually hurts you. So as I said, I played this game uh, four times. Uh, three of them were with other people. And all of those games took 
about 90 minutes. Uh, I don't think this game ever took more than that or less. Uh, again, this is a game that says, I think, 60 minutes on the box, but if you're experienced with this game, I think you will be <laughs> able to play it a lot faster overall. But again, 90 minutes is not bad. Uh, now, the four-player games that I played were actually with the exact same people, um, so enough people were interested in trying this out again. And after playing it four times over the course of eight days, I'm happy to say that I'm still looking forward to playing this one more. Um, there are more rules to Trans-Siberian Railroad than there are for Iberian Gage, but there's not really that many rules overall, and jumping into one of these games, especially with people who know it already, is just kind of a, a fun, refreshing experience. You just set things up, you have an initial auction, and then you just go for it. And one thing I've loved seeing, especially in Trans-Siberian Railroad, is how tiny decisions can have massive ramifications in a, a very kind of storyline perspective way. Uh, what I mean by that is in the very first round of the last game of Trans-Siberian Railroad, I decided to buy a stock instead of laying a cube out, which would have given seven income, which would have been very good. Now, I was able to trace back essentially all the bad things that happened to me to that initial decision to buy that red stock. Uh, I figured out very early on, I think within one round, I realized I should not have bought that stock. And the reason for that is because there are only five stocks in those first four companies. And at that point, this was the fourth out of five stocks. I bought it for very cheap because it was early in the game, and there was just one more red stock. That means the main avenue to dump money into that company was um, very restricted, with only one more stock to be purchased. And it also meant that I gave up some momentum to another player who ended up doing very well based off of um, decisions that I made. I think instead of investing in that stock, that was my third stock, and each were different colors, I should have worked on the company that I was already invested in a little bit more, and then tried to circle back and maybe buy something out later. Um, so that was very fascinating. And there was another moment very uh, late on in that game when we were doing the kind of stall round where three of us were doing tiny little builds and one person was pushing time where I put a cube down and the specific spot where I put it here or there, both adjacent to the same city, um, had massive ramifications on the game. And I know that because I placed it there. And then like two turns later, I was like, hey, is everybody okay if I move it over there? I think that might have been better. And everyone's like, yeah, that, yeah, that's fine. Except for one player who said, yeah, that's okay, as long as I can redo another turn. And I said, sure. And they said, okay, you moving that one cube changed everything that that other company was going to do and had massive ramifications on which companies were going to get sold or I guess gobbled up by the government. And I thought that was just fascinating that you see this big map and you might think, ah, you know, what's a three over here or a three over there? What's really going to be the difference? But it can have humongous differences. That tiny little cube placement is highly consequential. And I'm not trying to go into the rules details for why. You'll just have to take my word on that. So uh, to wrap up Trans-Siberian Railroad, I have been fascinated by this game and I've really enjoyed the four plays of it so far. I'm looking forward to playing it more. Uh, interesting thing of note, I actually played Iberian Gage and Trans-Siberian Railroad in the same evening two Mondays in a row. So that's part of the reason why I've been uh, just kind of rolling around in these uh, cube rails type games experiences. And I'm looking forward to playing Trans-Siberian more. I think part of me... <sighs> It's really tough to, to compare these two games. Part of me loves the building uh, column of Iberian Gage, uh, maybe even more than Trans-Siberian, but I also love the fact that players are in control of the tempo of Trans-Siberian and the fact that players have this looming monster of the Russian government coming from behind. So they have similar ideas at their hearts, but the extra mechanics really do make these games significantly different to the point where I'm looking forward to playing both of them more. Uh, and I think 
that should probably bring me to the final section that I want to go into, which is essentially some musings from my perspective as a Cube Rails newbie. Um, I am not really a train game person. Uh, I've played one 18xx game a couple of years ago, mostly to say that I have. <laughs> and the only other Cube Rails game that I've played is Irish Gage. Uh, I played that one a couple of years ago as well. And I actually, just before I recorded this, went back and watched my impressions of that because I was curious to see uh, where I was then to where I am now. And I had overall uh, positive things to say about Irish Gage, even though I finished out that segment saying that I didn't think I was likely to play it again. A big factor in that is the fact that in Irish Gage, which is a Cube Rails game, there is constant auctions. And I've realized over time that I just don't really like auctions in games that much. Uh, there are certain types that I enjoy, but I don't like trying to figure out on the fly how much something is worth. In Irish Gage, when you start an auction for a stock in the middle of the game, you are trying to figure out how much it's worth it to you and you don't want to overpay because you'll end up, you know, going backwards. Whereas in Iberian Gage and Trans-Siberian Railroad, if you want to buy a stock, you just pay the price. Uh, there is a, an auction at the very start of Trans-Siberian, but that's just um, at two phases in the game. Most of that game doesn't have auctions. And I like that decision. I can say, is it worth it for me to spend the, you know, 20 cost to buy that stock? Um, yes or no. <laughs> I either spend it or I don't. I don't have the option of spending more or less in that moment. Now, historically, I've also disliked um, stock type games because, I don't know, I seem to do very poorly with them. But interestingly enough, I I've done very well with these Cube Rails games. In that Impressions uh, for Irish Gage, I actually mentioned that I won the only game of that that I played. Uh, now, when I look back at these other ones, I have won Trans-Siberian Railroad, I think, three out of the four times, and I won Iberian Gage once out of the two different plays. So that's not like I'm winning every single game, but I'm definitely winning quite a bit considering these have been three, four, and even five player experiences. So that's probably part of the reason why I have been enjoying them. But also looking back to my impressions of Irish Gage, I can see myself trying to convince myself that I liked the game more. Ultimately, I, you know, never played it again, so that tells you a lot. But in retrospect, I think I really liked the network building aspect to the game. And I really liked the kind of collaborative experience of someone having stock and somebody else having stock, but I didn't like all of the constant auctions and constant evaluations that you were having to do there. So now that I have these experiences of playing other different types of cube rail games, especially ones that do not lean heavily on auctions, I've realized that a big part of me did enjoy part of Irish Gage and has enjoyed essentially all of Iberian Gage as well as Trans-Siberian Railroad. Interestingly enough, all three of those games were designed by Tom Russell. Irish Gage was also designed by the same uh, uh, designer for all of these. Uh, now that uh, really leads me to the spot where I am realizing that I guess stocks and trains are a part of my board gaming experience that are, are kind of underrepresented so far. I've been crazy about board games for about 14 years now, and for most of that time, I have actively avoided stocks and trains. I remember I played um, Age of Steam or Steam, I can't remember which one, uh, back in like 2010, 2011, and um, did not really like the experience. It was very overwhelming, and I think I did quite poorly. And I did play one 18xx game a couple of years ago that was uh, 1860. I believe. Um, and I enjoyed that experience, but it was like three plus hours and I played it with 18xx experts. Now, looking at these Cube Rails games, I realize they've got a lot of really fun collaborative as well as competitive uh, experiences wrapped up in a very small time frame. Uh, the fact that I played Iberian Gage and Trans-Siberian Railroad back to back 
twice over the course of eight days says a lot about the potential longevity of me and this style of game. Uh, another uh, Cube Rails game that has been republished by Capstone Games recently is Ride the Rails. I forget the actual original name for that one. And that one has some own tricks up its sleeve as well. And I actually really wanted to play that game. Um, when it was first released, I was fascinated by it. I never actually received a copy of it. But I ended up watching, I think, three full playthroughs of this game on other YouTube channels. I was so fascinated by the experience of this Cube Rails game that I couldn't help but continue to watch other people playing this game. And I never actually um, got the gumption up to force my friends to try and play that with me. Although maybe I will now, <laughs> since I've got these Cube Rails on my mind. I've been doing a lot of thinking about these games, and uh, I came up with an analogy that I like, uh, and that has to do with Ethiopian food. Um, now, I originally tried Ethiopian food about 10 years ago. Uh, a friend invited me to go to one of those restaurants. I never even heard of it before, and I got a big meat dish, and I was pretty unimpressed. I actually did not like that meal at all, and I walked away from it thinking that I did not like Ethiopian food. Then, like five years later, I started dating somebody who loved Ethiopian food, but who was a vegetarian, and I decided to give it another shot, and I was blown away at how good vegetarian Ethiopian food is. Um, now, it's gotten to the point now where I consider Ethiopian food to be my favorite type of food, but every single time I've had a meat Ethiopian dish, I've been disappointed. And when I look over to train games and stock games and cube rails games as well, I see a similar thing happening there. Like the first time that I tried it, I didn't actually enjoy that experience and it actually caused me to not come back to it for quite a while. But now that I have come back and realized there are other flavors, <laughs> other styles of that specific type of game, I realized that there's actually a ton of fun here and something that might actually be a pretty big deal for me. Uh, now, I don't see myself transitioning into being a big 18xx gamer because a big reason why I've been enjoying these Cube Rails games is the overall play length and the overall low amount of rules <laughs> that are happening in them. But after playing uh, three of them uh, and really, really liking two, honestly, I, I, I love Iberian Gage and Trans-Siberian uh, Railroad. I've been having so much fun with those. And actively kind of disliking Irish Gage, like trying to convince myself that I liked it but not ultimately liking it, it's made me realize that I need to keep trying these games. I want to try Ride the Rails, and I, and I know there's many more that I don't even have access to. And I'm honestly excited to see companies like Rio Grande and Capstone um, going out there and getting the rights to these games and patching, packaging them up with um, great-looking art and components and putting them in a box. Um, obviously, the style between those two games is different, but I actually really like the way that Trans-Siberian Railroad looks. It's got more of a realistic map going on, and it's got a very minimalistic vibe, and it's really good as far as teaching the game. The player aid, as well as the stuff on the board, um, do a great job at you know, accentuating all of the rules in Trans-Siberian Railroad. So I guess that's going to bring my musings to a close at this point. I am excited to be exploring this part of board gaming more, and I'm really happy to have a few friends that um, seem to be interested in following me on that path. Um, not all of my friends are super into it, but uh, for me, I think a big part of it is the mechanical novelty of everything that goes on with these plays. And I know I said I was going to wrap this up, but there's one more thing that I want to mention as kind of a, a global thing that I've seen with these games. And that is, I've really enjoyed the narrative arcs of these games. In the last play of Trans-Siberian Railroad that we played, the person who won, they were pretty dominant, honestly. Um, we, the rest of us made some decisions that weren't great, and it put uh, my one friend, Nick, in a spot where it was very hard to catch up to them. Honestly, the rest of us were fighting for second, and that can just happen sometimes based off of the poor decisions that some of us made. But he commented at the end of the game that even though 
he was in a dominant position in that game, and it seemed like he didn't have to work that hard to stay there. He was fascinated at watching the narrative experience of the rest of us trying to avoid nationalization and trying to beat him, you know, collaborating together, discussing how we were going to take him down, and ultimately we weren't able to. But the fact that he got a lot of enjoyment from that play, just watching the experience that was happening to everybody else says a lot. Um, and, you know, <laughs> sometimes with these games, you're going to have, I guess, runaway leaders, and that person was certainly a runaway leader. But, you know, when a game is only 60 to 90 minutes, that's less of an issue, especially when you can blame yourself. I think these are the kind of games where you are punished for making poor decisions, <laughs> and you are definitely, uh, you get big benefits for making good decisions. And, and I've seen all flavors of those types of uh, things happening over the last week. I guess I've played, yeah, six of these Cube Rails games over the last eight days. Uh, and I've really enjoyed these narratives as well. Um, I enjoyed uh, watching the full stream of Heavy Cardboard. And I remember watching their uh, auction at the very beginning and saying, wow, they're pricing those stocks pretty high. And uh, I'm like, wow, they're going to have a really hard time avoiding nationalization. And sure enough, you know, like an hour and a half later, they were having a very hard time avoiding nationalization. And I think it's just a really interesting, like you're just throwing stuff into a pot, a bunch of different things. And in this game, it's player count and its initial stock prices and its initial placements. And based off of that stuff in the pot, it's just interesting to see what what soup you get at the end. Uh, I know I'm using lots of analogies and I have a lot to say about this, uh, but one that I liked was uh, curling. You know, that's a, um, a sport where you send this shuttle, this big rock down an icy path, trying to land it in the right spot. And it seems to me like the narratives of these games can be kind of like the initial path of that shuttle that you send in curling. You know, based off of the stock prices that people auction off or set in games like Iberian Gage, you can say, okay, that's the trajectory that this is going to be going. And then you spend the rest of the game being those brushing people trying to like maneuver this stone into the spot where it actually helps you out. Uh, that may be too much of an analogy. I think you have a lot more control than the brushing people do. But I, I do think that at the start of these games, there is an initial narrative trajectory of the game based off of how the setup goes and each individual player's decisions. And I just find that fascinating. You know, if three players decide they want to price things really low to make this a low nationalization game, but then the fourth player says, nah, I'm going to price this, the one at like 24, then right there, they had enough of a sway to change the trajectory of the game. And then I'm just fascinated to play that game out to see what actually ends up happening. So at this point, I think I've rambled on far too long about all of these. I, I should definitely bring this to a close. Uh, as you can tell, I am very excited about these games and these gaming experiences. A big part of it is probably the novelty of it for me, but I'm actively looking forward to playing more of these types of games in the future, specifically playing more Iberian Gage as well as Trans-Siberian Railroad, because a lot of my friends know those already, but also maybe trying to seek out and play more of these as time goes on. So yeah, I think that is going to wrap up this podcast. Thanks for listening.